Hello, and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and I uh, hope everybody had a, uh, a Merry Christmas and you're finishing the year well. I can't say I've read a particularly big amount, but uh, some interesting stuff and plenty to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, and the interesting stuff is the most important part of it. So this week what we're doing is finishing up our regularly scheduled podcast with you. We'll be talking about Pappy Land in a few minutes by Wright Thompson and catching you up on the last few things that we have read to finish out the year. We may cover a couple more, and if we do, I guess we can slide them into the first January episode, but this is, this is the last regularly scheduled one for 2023, and we've been doing this for a couple of years now. Yeah, and, and we really do appreciate uh, those of you who keep up and uh, tell us your, your thoughts and your recommendations and your feedback. Um, it's been our favorite part of doing this podcast. Yeah, very much. And uh, as long as, as you all are up for it, we'll try to be up for it too. <laughs> all right, I'll get started and uh, let we'll talk about what I've been reading first. Sound good? Sure. All right. So the first thing that I read over the past two weeks is Faking Christmas by Carrie Winfrey. I picked it up because it was a Christmas book and because I like Carrie Winfrey pretty well. She's written a bunch of little rom-coms. Um, the first one I think she had was about, uh, it had Tom Hanks in the title. And it was kind of a play off his perpetual rom-coms that he is in. Um, this one was not my favorite of hers. Uh, the title alone really should have gotten me because I don't like faking books really. But it was a Christmas <laughs> story. So in this one, the main character has kind of made up a little story about herself um, because there's a misunderstanding with her editor. She's a writer, and he misunderstands and thinks that the social media account she runs for her twin sister's farm is her own and that she runs this farm. It's one of the reasons that she gets the job. Mm-hmm. When his marriage falls apart, he invites himself out to her farm for Christmas dinner, and that's where everything kind of goes crazy. So... It was, it was a harmless little book to read right before Christmas, a nice distraction. So um, if you like holiday books, that might be one to check out. Then I reread Book Lovers by Emily Henry because it was almost Christmas and I just wanted to read something familiar. I was tired of taking chances on new books. I get in those ruts sometimes where I just, I don't really want anything new. I just want something that was familiar. And so that's what I did. I reread Book Lovers for, I don't know, the eighth time. I've talked about it on here multiple times. Um, I am a big rereader. You're not really so much. Well, I think if I was making a bigger dent in the things that I read, I probably would do more of it. Um, what's funny, I do have a reread this time. And yeah, I, I've talked sometimes about having a year where I just really would dive into that. But there's always such a backlog and there's so many things to get to. And I'm reluctant to uh, make that pile up even more than it already does. Which is understandable, too. I just, I really like the comfort of them. And I really, I always find that I notice things on a reread. Like, rereading rewards you with yeah. what you find that you missed the first time. Yeah, no doubt. All right, then I read Lasagna Means I Love You by Kate O'Shaughnessy, which is a middle grades novel that I picked up at a conference that I went to back in November. Uh, the author was actually there signing her book. It's a great title. It is a fabulous title and in this book the main character is a little girl whose grandmother whom she lives with has just died Um, her grandmother died expecting her uncle to take over the apartment and take over the care of this little girl but he doesn't want to and so he surrenders her to the foster care system in New York City where she bounces for a little bit trying to figure out 
what it is. Her grandmother wrote a letter to her right before she died that encouraged her to have a hobby that would give her something to dive into um, as she knew how sad she would be. Mm -hmm. And she struggles against it at first, but then she discovers cooking. And her take on cooking is family recipes. At her foster care system, she finds somebody's family cookbook, and it has little snippets of stories in it for eat, for the family members and why they made this and why the recipes mm -hmm. meant so much to them. And she is just fascinated by how food um, is, is shared amongst family and how it has such meaning in family, and also heartbroken at the fact that she has no family recipes of her own. Sure. And she um, ends up starting a website to share the family recipes that she finds and to solicit family recipes from others. She makes a lot of them. She photographs them. She shares them online. She's in this foster care system. Part of the book, part of it is so heartbreaking. But her resilience and her hope all the way through and the way that she finds love and community and connection through food and through writing about that food. I mean, this is just my sweet spot of books right here. No, really. it sounds phenomenal. And then the... I can see how it work as a YA thing because you've got what's obviously a plot-heavy book and at the same time uh, a book that explores this idea of finding meaning in, in your little side passions, which mm -hmm. is, you don't I have really, to be a kid for that to relate. You know? Yeah, and I really think that this one is more middle grade than young adults. Um, okay. It doesn't have the extra edge of a young adult, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's... You I struggle well. often yeah. with the parlance of, of, of what these things are classified Well, and I could as. have it wrong. I don't remember, like, the age of the girl, really. I just, it was the sweetest, sweetest book, and I'm really, really glad that I read it. Um, and now I want to find who to give it to. I've got mm -hmm. to figure that out next. All right. Then the next one I read was Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Onwachi. And I read this one for a book club that I'm in, which is, of course, a food book club. Um because that has been a massive theme with me lately. Mm -hmm. But this is his memoir of how he became one of the young star chefs in America. And he talks about his entire life and the women who shaped him and the difficulties that he had um, growing up as a young black man in America, particularly in New York City. Sure. But the ways that food always shaped him all the way through. And then, again, just his um, extreme hustle to get where he wanted to be and to achieve his dreams. And it was just a really inspiring story. Mm -hmm. um, I think I heard uh, in our book club meeting that he is opening a new restaurant. I can't remember if it's in New York or D.C., but um, it would be pretty amazing. His food sounds wonderful. Great. Um, then I read A Winter in New York by Josie Silver, who I feel like she writes a lot of winter kinds of books. And this one was really just a perfect storm for me because it was winter it did cover over the christmas holidays but it didn't specifically center on that and then it was about new york and it was also about food she has a gelato recipe the main character does that her mother has given to her and told her that it is a total secret but she knows from her mother's scrapbook that this gelato recipe must have come from a specific gelato place in new york city when she moves to new york city she's not really thinking about finding the place but when she stumbles into it she finds that their secret gelato recipe um, is in danger because only two members of the family know it at any one time. One of them has just had a stroke and the other one has never really cared anyway and doesn't know where it well, is. Well, great. So how can she help them without revealing that somebody gave this recipe who wasn't ever supposed mm -hmm. to without like tumbling their whole family mm -hmm. secret 
but also how can she not help no, them true. as she slowly grows to fall in love with this family. I really enjoyed this book. It had a lot of New York, a lot of food stuff. Really, really fun. Good characters. Is, is gelato making that intensive? It would seem to me, I mean, like I've, I've, we've participated in making ice cream and it's hard because it's a lot of stuff to do, but it's not like complicated. Well, I'm not sure you've ever had gelato and definitely no, not made it. No, so no, I would, I have, that's why I'm asking. I have no idea. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't want to speak to it really. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Then the last one that I read was A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Moss. I have recently started reading the whole Akatar series. And every time I finish a book, of course, this is just the second one mm-hmm. in the series. But after the first one and after the second one, I'll put the next one on hold through the Libby app. But I'm also not totally sure that I even want to read the next one <laughs> because it's just, it's a lot of drama and it's a lot of action and it's a lot. These books are long and there's just a lot in here, intrigue, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But when the third one shows up, I know I'm going to want to read it really, even though I was kind of overwhelmed and tired by the end of this second one. Um, these are just, they're a lot of fun uh, fantasy novels, um, love, drama, intrigue, thrills, all kinds of things fun series if you have heard of it you've probably already read it you don't need me to summarize for you if you haven't and you like those kinds of things it's definitely worth a shot yeah i'm you know how i roll i'm it's I, not you it's I'm got not, to be a great novel for me to, to dive in on it and uh, oh i'm not telling you to read it all right then i won't <laughs> all right <laughs> probably us, who knows tell us what you've been reading i didn't hit a ton i uh, did Mentioned that I did a reread, although it's not really read, it's a listen because it's an audiobook. But uh, something I did, I think, last year, if not two years ago, but I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on here, so I won't belabor the point too much. But it is The Shepherd, the Angel, and Walter the Christmas Miracle Dog by Dave Barry. Um, it's a very brief, more of a novella than a novel. A uh, story that feels incredibly autobiographical. I forget the name of the main character, but his initials are DB. Uh, it feels like a story from Dave Barry's childhood, and I highly suspect that it would check out that way. Uh, I mean, it's your feel-good Christmas story. There's no great, uh, crazy, weird things here, um, but the same things that make Dave Barry funny, always make Dave very funny, and, and there's a lot of uh, humor in this, but a lot of uh, a lot of relating to the holiday experience uh, as, a, as a child, as a parent, uh, you know, it, it's his family and the misadventures that center on their dog and the Christmas play that Dave Barry's character will be part of, um, so it, it's a quick painless little read that I'm just making an unofficial holiday tradition because I like it and it uh, puts me in a good mood. Well, and it really, really is short because you started the audiobook when we were in the car and I fell asleep pretty much immediately and I woke up like an hour and a half later and it was finishing. Yeah, I'm not sure it's even that long. I think it's it's probably barely over an hour. It, it is a quick one, but, uh, but fun and... Uh, yeah, love Dave Barry, always. Read a book, It's this was my Esquire project where I'm going through their 100 best baseball books and hitting the ones that I have not read before and one I had not read before. It's a newish book, singled out by Andrew Marinus, which is the story of Glenn Burke, who was one of the first self-acknowledgedly um, gay professional athletes in American history. Glenn Burke's real claim to fame 
more than being a Major League Baseball player, more than being a gay Major League Baseball player, is probably, and I do say probably because there's reason to question this, but Marinus certainly buys in, the inventor of the high five. <laughs> and that's, you know, Burke, Burke will live on, uh, I suppose, as long as we give each other high fives. And, you know, the book made me think about it. And so when I see old sports games, I'm careful to watch how guys congratulate each other. And sure enough, he Marinus credits Burke with doing this in... In 1977, I think, seven or eight, Dusty Baker, the longtime baseball manager, was the guy who he gave a high five to. Uh, and that's supposedly where it comes from. But yeah, I watched stuff from the 60s or the early 70s. You know, a guy hits a home run, somebody pats him on the back, somebody shakes his hand, nobody gives him five. You don't see it. So uh, Burke lives on in that. Less. Uh, <laughs> Obvious in, in his world, he was really a, a part-time Major League Baseball player for a few years, but he was gay, and that was not something that people talked about in, in that day and age. Um, Burke, tragically, later came down with AIDS and, and died a young death. Um, but I think part of that situation was that he wanted to tell the truth about who he was and how he'd gotten there. Hopefully, in the help, in the hopes that he would help other people out with, you know, detection of it. It sounds like Burke's story mirrors that of a, a guy who's passed on, who was a friend of mine, who's a musician, um, in that he went to the hospital for something else, and they just found it, and that's what happened to my friend. My friend uh, got mugged, and he went to the hospital. And by the way, you have HIV. Um, my friend had it for a lot longer than Glenn Burke did, though. I guess he was lucky that it was later on, and the, the treatment was more um, developed by the time he got it. But uh, anyway, it, it's an interesting story that, that uh, chronicles a lot of things I didn't know much about. Uh, certainly the, the, the lifestyle and how he dealt with that. And, and, you know, he goes, Marinus went back and talked to teammates, and some of them... Didn't know, and some of them said, I kind of suspected, and some of them said, yeah, yeah, I knew, but I sure wasn't going to say anything about it. That was his business. Uh, but uh, Glenn Burke hopefully will be remembered for who he was and not who he wasn't, and uh, and certainly above and beyond that, anytime somebody gives somebody a high five, he's there. <laughs> so that's uh, not exactly a logical segue from that to our shared read, but uh, that was the other thing I read, and Certainly enjoyed. Um, you, you picked a good one, and I think it lived up to everything you told me about it. Mm, it our shared read I mentioned earlier is Pappy Land. I think the subtitle is um, Family, Fine Bourbon, and the Things That Matter. And it's by Wright Thompson. It is one of my top books of the year. Uh, it is about everything he mentions in his subtitle. There is a lot in here about bourbon. Mm -hmm. There's a lot about family, uh, both the Van Winkles and Wright Thompson's own family, which was just starting to grow as this book was being written, and then how bourbon can lead us to the actual things that matter in life. Yeah, the the rise and fall of the Van Winkle family was something I didn't know about, and it makes an interesting backdrop to the book. Uh, I think Thompson would probably tell you what's, what's heroic in the Van Winkle family was the determination to see this thing through. 
uh, years after the original bourbon boom when this stuff is just dying off and it's just hanging on by fingernails. And our main, Julian, is, is the Van Winkle, who's our, our main character. Just, I don't know. I don't know if it was eccentricity or genius or just an unflagging determination to say we are who we are. We do what we do until somebody says you can't do it anymore. Well, and it seems often just like hanging on with his fingernails and toenails, just digging in oh, yeah, yeah. to do the things that he loved and to create this bourbon that meant a lot to him because it was his livelihood, but meant even more to him because of what it represented to him through his family history with his father and his grandfather and what he hoped that it would mean to his children someday. Mm -hmm. And Wright Thompson echoes that in his own life. He spends a lot of time talking about um, places and people with whom he has shared great bourbon <laughs> and yeah. what that what that meant to them and what the drink represented beyond just being... Like, like, it was never when he talked about it, just a time when they all sat around getting drunk or whatever. This was a time when they used really good bourbon to celebrate important moments or to honor people who have passed on, to mark milestones, to kind of mark the passing of the guard from one person to the next, to the new family patriarch, mm -hmm. um, and ways to honor each other and what they hoped their family would be as well as what it actually was. Um, Wright Thompson wrote about it in his own life, but also in Julian Van Winkle's life, the way they had used bourbon to reflect the real messiness that all of our lives actually are, but also to shine a light on the really good stuff that it is and can be. Mm-hmm. It's a very honest, uh, conversational kind of book because, yeah, his own family dealing with his own past, dealing with his own future. He and his wife are trying to have a child as this book goes down, and that's the hopes and fears that come with that are a nice backdrop for some of the book. But uh, And my goodness, it is set in Kentucky. There's no yeah. better place to set a book. And to be fair, you know, obviously we are from Kentucky, but Wright Thompson was perfect at describing our state, at making it feel like it was our state. Um, yeah. Like, uh, he spent a lot of time in Kentucky, obviously, yeah, to write much. this book. Um, but he did a good job making, like, shining a light on the glory that is Kentucky, too. Which, yeah. Although that sounds really weird to say. Nobody thinks of it as a glorious state. But there's good stuff here, too. And he really reflected that. Well, I definitely, I may have even said it on the podcast when we talked about it. It's a funny thing with me because Wright Thompson comes from Mississippi and the parts of Mississippi that I love and romanticize. And, yeah, that, that I go to for inspiration and for some otherworldly different thing. And he came up here. And, and maybe I feel like I understand Kentucky a little better because I see it through his eyes. But goodness sakes, yeah, if he ever gets down in the mouth on Mississippi, holler at me. I'll help him remember a few things that are worth celebrating down there. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting thing to me. If you've read Wright Thompson's other book, which we talked about a few weeks ago, The Cost of These Dreams, mm -hmm. Pappy Land is very different. It yes. still has his inimitable voice. He is an absolutely gorgeous writer. Honestly, I don't think really can be replicated. He's just got such a unique voice. Um, we've only watched a little bit of his TV show, True South, mm -hmm. but it also has his voice that shines through with it. 
Um, he's just magnificent, but this is a totally different book. This is a much more personal book. So if you like The Cost of These Dreams, I think you would also like Pappy Land. But if you didn't really like The Cost of These Dreams, you still got a shot at liking Pappy Land. And as uh, if, if you, like us, are from or around or close to Kentucky, uh, there is no good excuse to, to miss this one, certainly. Uh, that's a whole other category I would add on. If you, if you care about bourbon or if you care about Kentucky, um, there will be things in here that will really resonate with you, I think. Yeah. Again, we just want to say thank you so, so much for sticking with us for another year of this podcast, for letting us know what you thought and what you are reading. We love hearing from you all the time. This will end up 2023 for us on this podcast. When we come back to you in January, our first episode is going to be a recap of our top favorite books of the year. So we'll just kind of look at 2023 in review. We'll highlight our very favorites. And then we'll kind of give you a rundown of what we're thinking our plans will be for 2024. Yeah, my head's honestly hurting as I try to think about what are the best things I read. And you've read much more than I have. And I've got one right now that I'm like, I'm going to have to hurry and finish this to make it eligible for the list because it's too good not to. It's the Pisnaski book. It is. It is. Um, If you would like to give us any last minute recommendations or tell us what you think we ought to start our 2024 with, we are still completely open to ideas. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on X at pbackreaderspod. Thanks again for listening. Have happy holidays and wherever those holidays uh, take you, we've still got some of them left to celebrate. Sneak along a, a book too, and for goodness sake, keep reading.